0: Good morning everyone, welcome to Christchurch. My name is Nathan Miske. I'm the youth director here at Christchurch as well as one of the vicars or pastors in training as well. And it is my job this morning to tell you about Job. Now, I say that not just because it's a silly little pun, although that's probably like 80% of the reason, but I say it also because it really is a job this morning. I I know it's Labor Day weekend, but it is a job. And that's because even though there's some messages I love giving and some sermons I love teaching, Job probably wouldn't be on the top of my list. If you were to pull back the curtain a little bit behind what it's like to be a pastor, when when pastors find out or when vicars find out that they're preaching on Job, a sigh comes out and they go, Ugh, Job. And that's because Job, although an incredible story, is a hard story. Because the context of Job is the story of a very, very bad day. If you've been alive for roughly, let's say, one week on the planet, or longer than that, you've probably had a bad day in your life. And I hope and I pray that none of you have had a bad day as bad as Job's. But that's some of the context behind Job. We'll get to some more in a moment. But what we'd like to do throughout this whole ancient prayer series, where we're studying a prayer from an Old Testament figure, is before we get to the prayer itself, We like to look at the context behind it. What was happening for the Jewish people, for the people of Israel, for in the world who wrote the book? These kinds of questions. So we're going to do that with Job. But with Job, it's a little bit tricky. It's a little bit more difficult. Because with Job, we don't have answers to a lot of questions we'd like to have answers on. For example, to the question of who wrote Job, We don't have an answer. There's some traditions that would say it was Moses, uh, but it could have been someone else. We don't really know. When was Job written or when did the events of Job take place? We don't know the answer to that either. There's some speculation that it took place between Genesis and Exodus, maybe when the Jewish people uh, were enslaved in Egypt. And this, this story would have really spoken to them then. But we don't know if that's the case. It could have been then. It could have been all the way up until the Jewish exile. We really don't know when this story took place. But we do know a couple things, and those are mostly from inside the book themselves. So Job 1.1 starts, there once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz, not Oz, Uz. And, and, And the thing about Uz is it's not in Israel. The land of Uz is not in Israel. It's probably in modern-day Jordan or northern Saudi Arabia, but it's not in Israel, and it's not in Egypt where the Jewish people may have been. It's somewhere else. It's outside the Jewish people's land. And what this means is that Job probably wasn't Jewish. Well, he followed God. He followed the Lord, but he wasn't a Jew probably in descent. He probably didn't have Jewish parents and didn't grow up in, in, in the Jewish synagogues and temples and, or, or tabernacles or whatever they were doing at the time and didn't learn all those things uh, and, and understand all those things from his culture, from his history. He was in a different culture with different philosophies and different theologies. The way they thought about that God was also going to be different as a result. But we learn some more about Job because we learn he was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God, and he stayed away from evil. So even though he probably didn't have the upbringing that would help him learn about God, he still feared God. And as a result of this, he was blameless. He was complete integrity. We know he probably wasn't perfect, but he was blameless. And along with being blameless, along with being uh, of complete integrity, Job was also very blessed. He was blessed with seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. Job was as blessed as you can get. He was the richest person He was the most blessed. And what's important to understand about this is that I alluded to the different philosophy and theology of that culture. And one of the markers of it was that if you lived a good life, God was going to bless you. And if you lived a bad life, you had sins, you weren't blameless, well, then God was going to punish you. This is the way they thought about the world. It's not the way we think about the world, but it's the way they thought about the world. So with Job being the richest person and the most blessed, logically speaking, Job would have been the best person. He would have been the most blameless, the most perfect person. But as we know, that's not exactly how the world works. 2020's probably shown you That bad things can happen to good people. Good things can happen to bad people. Life can get hard. That's because the power of sin is prevalent in the world. And with that, Job had many problems. Job's life was not as perfect anymore. I alluded to earlier Job's very, very bad day. Well, it began here. It began with Satan taking everything. Because Job had all these things happen, and one day a messenger came to Job and and, and ran in and said, Job, Job, some robbers came, they took all your sheep, They, they took all of your animals, and they killed a whole bunch of people. And I was the only one to escape to tell you. And then another messenger came running in and said, Job, Job, a fire came and it burned down a whole bunch of your land and it killed all your shepherds and all your sheep and I was the only one to escape to tell you. And then while he was still speaking, another messenger, a third messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed and all your children are dead. That's a bad day. Not only did Job lose all his animals, all his property, but now he's lost all his kids. He's lost just about everything. On top of that, Satan keeps going at him and and makes him sick, and, and he ends up with boils and has an illness. So on top of all of this, he's also ill. But He still has a wife. He has one thing left. But as I'm sure you can imagine, especially if you're married, things going this badly can put some strain on a marriage. And it certainly did. His wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. His wife was not very happy with the God that Job followed and didn't understand why Job would continue to follow him and continue Uh, to try to lift God up and and do the right thing and be blameless in the midst of all that, as she thought, God was doing to Job. Because once again, in their understanding, God was the one doing this to Job. They didn't understand that it was Satan. They thought Job was being punished. So according to their own theology, their own philosophy, the way they understood the world... This is actually the logical response. Curse God and die would make sense if you thought about the world the way Job did. Because if you thought about the way the, the world the way the world works the way Job did, well then Job knew he was blameless and thought God was punishing him. And if this God was punishing him even though he was without sin, he should curse God. But Job was humble enough. He said, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from God, from the hand of God, and never anything bad? Job was humble enough to realize maybe he didn't have all the answers. And maybe we should, shouldn't quite curse God just because some bad things happened. Now his theology is a little warped here because once again, the punishment is coming from the hand of God, which it didn't, but to Job it did. And, and he probably, probably shouldn't have said you talk like a foolish woman to his wife. I've, I've been told that's a bad thing to say. So his theology was warped, and he didn't handle this perfectly. But Job still knew it wasn't right to curse God for this. So Satan had taken everything from Job. Job's marriage was in a little bit of struggles. His wife's telling him to curse God and then finally, he's got some friends with some bad theology. Now, his friends started off doing the right thing. They came from all over, three different tribes. From, so Job's from Uz, and then they got, he's got these three friends that come from three different tribes and just sit with him for a week. They mourn with him, they grieve with him, and they just let it be. They mourned with the person who needed to mourn. But then they got a little off track because they started trying to fix the problem because to them, Job was being punished, which means Job must have done something wrong. So they tried to get to the bottom of it and they were trying to be helpful. They kept asking Job, what have you done wrong? Why is God cursing you? What's this sin that was committed? What is this sin that your kids committed? If we can get rid of that, we can get rid of the punishment that's being inflicted upon you. And Job, as someone who was innocent, denies this, saying, I haven't done anything wrong. God can't be cursing me for something I did wrong. I haven't done anything wrong. And his friends get increasingly angry and accusatory at Job, and Job responds being more and more vehemently defending himself because he hasn't done anything wrong but his friends are convinced he must have done something wrong and it comes to a head when one of his friends says is it because you're so pious that he god accuses you and brings judgment against you is it because god is it because you're so perfect that god would judge you no of course not that doesn't make sense it's because of your wickedness job there's no limit to your sins even though job was blameless His friends continued and continued to try and convince him that he must have done something wrong or God wouldn't punish him. This led to what I call Job's anguish. Eventually, Job stops responding to his friends and starts responding to God. And he prays this to God, not actually the prayer we're focusing on, but he prays this, I cry to you, O God, but you don't answer. I stand before you, but you don't even look. You have become cruel towards me. You use your power to persecute me. Job is angry with God. Job doesn't understand why God would be doing this to him. He wasn't but he didn't understand why God would persecute him like this, why God would be cruel towards him and allow and and cause all these bad things to happen. He didn't get it. And he's angry with God because of it. And we finally then hear from God because while Job's angry with God, God is now angry with Job. And God even challenges Job. Now, I didn't put these on the slides because I want you to hear what God says to Job. And this takes place over the course of four chapters, Job 38 through 41. And it's heavy, and it's hard. But God challenges Job. It starts in chapter 38. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man. Because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you know so much, who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundation, and who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang aloud, and all the angels shouted for joy. This goes on for 41 verses. Then it goes into chapter 39, which in my Bible is titled, The Lord's Challenge Continues. The Lord's Challenge Continues. Do you know when the wild goats give birth? Have you watched as deer are born in the wild? Do you know how many months they carry their young? Are you aware of the time of their delivery? And this goes on for 30 verses of chapter 39. And then chapter 40 says, Then the Lord said to Job, Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? God finally allows Job the space to respond after two two chapters of just challenging Job and challenging Job and challenging Job and saying, how dare you think you know better than me? You weren't there when I created the world. You, You weren't sustaining the world like I am. Job replies to the Lord, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. But God had more to say. He says, brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Will you discredit my justice and condemn me just to prove you are right? Are you as strong as God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? And this continues for 24 verses of chapter 40 and then 34 verses of chapter 41. So after all of this, after all this context of Job's life being perfect, being the most blessed, and then having the worst day imaginable, Job finally gets to his prayer, the prayer we're going to look at today. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. After this, the story moves on and tells us that Job's life was restored. All the good things he had were brought back even more so. He has seven more sons and three more daughters. His life gets even more blessed than it was before. And the easy message to bring you based on this would be, well, when, when life gets hard, if we, if we humble ourselves before God, well, then good things are going to happen to us. Unfortunately, that's not the way the world works. In fact, that goes against everything the book of Job is trying to tell us. Because Job's friends didn't understand that, that when you do the right thing, it doesn't necessarily mean everything's going to be sunshine and rainbows and perfect that's not the way the world works. If 2020 has taught us anything, it's that life is hard. Sometimes good things happen to bad people. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. So what then does this prayer tell us? Now, I thought for weeks on weeks, what, what, what does this prayer tell us? What is the message here? And right away, I knew it was going to be something about be humble, Right away, I knew oh, Job was really humble before God. That's how he responded, with humility. You know, he, he was arrogant in the beginning. He thought he knew better than God. But he responded in humility. All right, that's a good start. What am I going to add to this? What, what can we throw on top of this? I'm, I'm, I'm smart. I can figure this out. And I was prideful and spent weeks trying to add to this. And it took a level of humility to understand, no, that, that is the message. It's that simple. Be humble. Be humble. That's all Job could do in the presence of God's challenge. That's all he was able to do, is just be humble. Say, you know what, God, I wasn't there when you created the world. I don't have all the answers, but you do. And he repented, he apologized, and he was humble. God wasn't angry with Job because Job didn't have all the right answers. God wasn't angry with Job's friends because they didn't understand perfectly the way the world worked. God was angry with them because they thought they knew better than God. Instead, they should have been humble. And Jesus wasn't mad with the Pharisees and the scribes who thought, who, because, he wasn't angry with them because they thought they knew the law perfectly. And he wasn't angry with them because they didn't know the heart behind the law. He was angry with them because they thought they knew better than Jesus himself. In fact, the very life of Christ is a message of humility. God himself, the greatest thing someone can be, God, choosing to become human and die for your sins. That is humility. That is being humble. So the message of Job is this. In the midst of hard times, Be humble. 2020 is some hard times for a lot of us, for most of us. And 2020 has led to some questions that I'm sure many of you are asking yourselves. Questions like, should I wear a mask? Should the government force people to wear masks? Questions like, what do we do about all these protests going around around the country? How do we respond to this? Questions like, should I send my kids to school this fall? Questions like, who do I vote for? Questions like, do I visit my immunocompromised grandparents? These are hard questions. And for some of them, there's a lot of answers floating on around there. And there's a lot of people who very strongly believe in their answers and are going to try to convince you that they know what's best. And maybe even you're that way. Maybe you're thinking, I know the answers. I'm sure of it. And that's Okay. It's okay, and it is good to try to pursue the best and most wise and the best possible decision and answer and understanding to all of these hard questions. And it's even okay to try to persuade other people onto your side. That when we do so, we get to do so with humility. Understanding that, you know what, we weren't there when God created the world. We don't know better than God, and we don't know everything. So when we see our crazy relative post that crazy thing on Facebook, we get to respond with humility in our response or our lack of a response. When we hear people arguing about certain topics, certain questions, or challenging our beliefs on them, we get to respond with humility. When we don't understand why our lives are so hard this year or in moments to come, and we question why God is allowing this to happen, we too get to respond with humility. So that's the message. That's the message of Job. Be humble. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we come before you grateful and thankful that you allow us to have answers, to be able to understand more and more about who you are. But God, help us in those moments to be humble in how we respond. Help us to be reminded of just how great you are, just how amazing you are, so that we can respond in humility when times get difficult. God, when we're making decisions about those questions and coming up with our own answers to those hard questions, help us to be humble and gracious in how we do it. God, we're so thankful that we get to gather today, whether it's online or here in the room, here in person. Help us to be reminded of your humility in laying down your life for us so that we can respond to with humility. We love you, and we pray all these things as we join together now, praying as Jesus taught us to pray the words of the Lord's Prayer.